We're not trying to droop you, but we might get a core zone. This week, I've seen political success on what I've been working on, so I'm feeling particularly jubilant. It'll pass. We'll also talk about bike lanes on 109th Street, and Mayor Iveson defends all forms of government, sort of, at the Singularity U conference. I'm Troy. I'm Matt. And we're Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 35, the Troy Wins episode. I mean, I'm not going to hide it. Sometimes I try to say, oh, this episode isn't about Troy's advocacy. But no, you know what? I achieved my goals at councils today after three and a half years. So I'm going to celebrate after the rapid fire segment. A Kenilworth resident was shocked to discover two cats at the bottom of a newly formed sinkhole this week. What ensued was hashtag YegCatRescue2019, which as of recording has not yet successfully extracted the cats from the sinkhole. While the cats are now physically able to escape due to scaffolding lowered into the sinkhole, at one point the cats overheard that people above wanted them to come out, to which the cats promptly replied, Checkmate humans, I fits down here, so I sits down here. Over budget, behind schedule, the planned redevelopment of the city hall wading pool into a splashing puddle may not open this summer, as city officials announced that it was behind schedule. This comes after we learned that the project was over budget as well. The delay comes as a show of good grace from city officials who realize that this is a project that no one wanted, asked for, or believed was necessary. So they're not going to give it to us, at least for now. Thanks, Edmonton. Ariana Grande's show at Rogers Place, the home of the Edmonton hockey team that was unable to make the playoffs this year, will only permit completely transparent plastic or vinyl bags inside the venue, which hosted the scene of a 3-2 loss in the Oilers' final home game of the season. The move comes after an explosion in an Ariana Grande show at a stadium different from the one where McDavid carried his lackluster and ineffectual team through a sluggish season, and now the measure has been expanded to all of her shows, including the one at Rogers Place, where Oilers season ticket holders go to burn their effigies of Oilers management. While this podcast will air after the show happens on Thursday, you can experience what it was like to be inside the building by simply feeling intense feelings of disappointment and regret for supporting something you love. Speaking Municipally is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. This week, we're going to tell you about Let's Do Coffee, which is a podcast produced by the Maji Center at Nate. It is hosted by Daniel Van Velen, and each episode features an interview with a student entrepreneur or Nate alumnus. They dive into topics that explore the challenges, questions, and fears involved in operating their companies. New episodes generally come out every two weeks, and you can find the show at nate.ca slash Center. So, Mac... A lot happened this week, and there's a lot to dive into, but I think the place we have to start is bike lanes, you know, as Edmonton are wont to complain about. No doubt. On the agenda this week was the 109 Street bike lanes, which some people may recall was a proposal essentially in the south side bike grid. There were a couple of options, and one of the options for the north-south bike connector was 110th Street, to which advocates came out and said, hey... What about 109th Street? That's a, you know, big Nile River of a road. And we could put some bike lanes on there and have people right where they want to be at the destination. And we're doing this plan called Envision 109 at the same time. So why not think about it? Yeah. And Envision 109 is all about making 109th Street a destination for pedestrians and human scale development. It's about removing the sort of parking lot in front aspect and have business front on the main street right which you know bike lanes really align with so the report came back to council this week 
And I'm going to say the report was not receptive to the idea of a 109 street bike lane. No. So I'll read this uh, quote from the report. It said, protected bike lanes are feasible on 109 Street between Saskatchewan Drive and 76th Avenue, but are not in alignment with the 2009 bike transportation plan and 2016 Main Street's guideline. So the 2009 bike transportation plan, which everyone lambasts as being the horrible plan that we want to expunge from our memory and which was expunged from all city maps four years ago, does not support bike lanes on 109 Street. Good Shock, argument there, Shocking, man. yes. Uh, odd that they would choose to mention that, no? The report also said that, you know, total costs for bike lanes and signal upgrades on 109 Street are estimated at $2.4 million. For comparison, bike lanes on 110 Street are estimated at $1.2 million. But the true cost of 109 is that the number of vehicle lanes would be reduced from 6 to 4, Troy. You got to keep that in mind. A bike lane doesn't take up a whole car lane. And yet, there are six car lanes. And by adding two bike lanes, you go down to four. How does that work? Math. Yeah. Uh, the result that we sort of were able to finagle is that administration doesn't seem to believe that two-way bike lanes, you know, on one side on a two-way street aren't the best safe choice. Uh, so they're not going to do them anymore. They didn't mention that anywhere in the report. They just provided single unidirectional bike lanes with buffer zones and said, look, this is all we can do and it's not feasible. So no. No cancel. Stop thinking it. No. Well, more than not feasible, what it, when you read the report, what you got from it was that they really just wanted the 110th Street option and tried to write the report to make that one look like the one to go with. Yeah. And the motion that council asked, it wasn't, please compare and contrast 109th Street and 110th Street. It's just, give us a report on the feasibility of 109th Street, which should have been a report on the feasibility of 109th Street. And then council could compare it with the merits of this other plan. Administration spent the majority of the report saying, yeah, we could do it on 109, but also this plan is better. Do you see how much it's better? Leading counsel with administration is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. But the main part of the story isn't about the bike lanes, which I personally don't want on 109 Street anyway, so I don't have a lot of skin in this game. What came was good old counselor Mike Nickel. Um, he had some choice words at counsel. This report the recommendation from administration was to receive for information. So the majority of reports that committee and council get are received for information. Yeah, it's just administration has provided some information that you've asked for. And in this case, the information was, yeah, uh, bike lanes on 109s, not really feasible. We're going to go ahead and get back to our Envision 109 work. If you guys want to do something special, you can go make a motion to do it. Right. Uh, that was the information that council was being presented. Uh Mike Nickel, after not participating in any of the discussion, uh, as Mike Nickel doesn't, he sits quietly in council and doesn't debate with his colleagues. He speaks up when the motion's coming forward and he says, I'm going to vote no. Shocker. Yeah. Mike well, Nickel voting no. <laughs> and there was sort of like confused looks from administration and council. I was like, I do not want to receive this report from information, not because I don't want bike lanes on 109 Street. I don't, but because I do not think we should even discuss bike lanes on 109th street i am not open to this discussion and i do not think administration should have brought this discussion forward to which council is kind of like but we asked for it yeah weird flex over there mike <laughs> yeah um, yeah and then administration spoke up and they said wait wait a second chair can we get clarification because receiving this report for information means that we're going to go continue our work on 109. Yeah, the absence of a motion to do something different is basically tacit approval for the direction they're already going. Yeah. So they're like, well, is Councillor Nickel directing us not to do Envision 109? Councillor Nickel's sitting over there and he's like, oh, 
you can tell just by his body posture and like his voice, oh, I've made a mistake. I've made a huge error, but he can't walk back his grandstanding. So he just says it and the motion comes forward. Counselor Cartmel called the vote. All in favor? Any opposed? Mike raises his hand and like shakes heads all around. And this is a disturbing trend for Mike Nickel, who I've told you is definitely running for the mayoral seat. But he also appeared on on Lachlan Cross's podcast, The Locker Room. Uh, For those listeners who aren't familiar, Lachlan Cross uh, said on the radio last year, and that Troy guy, I wanted to kill him. Man, I wish he would not reply to me on Twitter and those threads on Reddit. He's got beef with me. Wow, he loves you. He doesn't like the bike dorks in the bike lanes. But Mike Nickel went on his podcast and it was a trend that I'm not a super fan of. Mike Nickel was very populist on the podcast and borderline like spreading disinformation. And this is a trend we've sort of seen Mike Nickel fall into where he's getting more boisterous, more opinionated, and he's really leaning into that sort of populism, probably in plan for mayoral run. Tapping into the hate that Edmontonians have for bike lanes, at least perceived. Don Iveson has positioned himself as LRT, active transportation, and family friendly. Right. Mike Nickel is the only counselor voting against LRT. He says no bike lanes ever. We're not even discussing it. And maybe he'll come out and say he hates kids. Maybe he won't be completely diametrically opposed to Iveson on every front. But there's going to be this solid Iveson-Nickel split, and I think it's only going to get more pronounced over the next couple years. Something to keep an eye on. Another thing to keep an eye on is the core of our city. Uh, I'd like to share a political success story. I opened up the notes for the show earlier today and I just simply said, Troy wins, <laughs> which is very intriguing. I have been busy all day uh, with this initiative. So, you know, uh, the notes were a little sparse for some history. About a month ago, I went and spoke at city council about speed limits and right. got approximately nothing done. Uh, city council had made the motion to proceed with 40 kilometer an hour speed limits on all local residential roads in the city. In many reasons, this was not a good proposal, but I'm not going to get into that just now. The report came back to council today, uh, this is Wednesday, that said, look, to do this, it's going to cost us $6 million in the cheapest version. And now by the city's own numbers, increasing or by decreasing from 50 kilometers an hour to 40 kilometers an hour on local residential roads, we will increase safety and reduce major injuries and collisions by 6% uh, for $6 million. That struck a lot of us as, this is not not a good plan. And you're using the low number. So the other option they had to implement this was as high as $16 million and no clear timeline. They couldn't even predict when it would be done. Yes. So in many ways, not a good plan. Uh, A couple passionate Edmontonians, it was... Myself, Julie Cusick, who has done everything in the past, including Engage 10676 and Thrive Yeg, and Tim Querengesser, a notable journalist and all-around good guy, we got together and we said, look, what can we do to make a better proposal? And what we came up was the Yeg core zone. Essentially, it's, we're going to draw a ring about two kilometers around the center of the city, and we're going to say, in the core zone, 30 is the limit. 40 on collectors. And outside in the suburbs, you can have your 50 kilometers an hour. All the suburban councillors can vote for this. This is something that we think politically can pass. It can address some of these councillors' concerns, and it can give us what we want in our core communities, which is 
safe speeds. It'll actually have an impact on Vision Zero objectives, is is what you guys said. Absolutely. So we'll get into the the proposal a little bit more, but maybe just quickly, how did you, the three of you or whoever else was involved, come up with the actual boundaries? Like, did you have a dartboard and you threw darts at it, or how did you how did you get to that core zone? It was a political proposal, the core zone. So I'm not gonna lie, there was some politics involved. We looked. At boundaries, for example, on the south end, the boundary is 61 Ave. On the south end of 61 Ave, there's industrial on the uh, east side, but on the west side, Pleasant View is right. on the south end. Pleasant View had a traffic calming pilot. Yes. Did not go well. A lot of angry people. I'm like, okay, not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Pleasant View, outside the core zone. So in that way, it was minorly political. In general, we decided... We want big arterial roads dividing it so there's a clear delineation between core zone and non-core zone. And we want something that roughly has the same build form. So we don't want to jump a road and then go from core grid neighborhoods to curvilinear neighborhoods. And what we came up with was roughly, you know, 61 Ave to 118 Ave and 142 Street to 75th Street. So with the Yegg core zone proposal, though, you have three speed limits, right? 30, 40, and 50? And 60, um, and 70 if you include uh, Fox Drive, and 80 if you include the White Mud. You saw where I was going with this. Yeah, the reality is when everyone talks about speed limits, they say, we need one true speed limit because we will get so confused with differing speed right. limits. Nah. Did you guys talk about that? Or we did. Did you just say, that's um, stupid, we're going to move on? We we talked about that, and in fact, a lot of people pushed hard against it. One of the pushes, uh, specifically that came from Julia's, we want... 30 kilometers an hour on both local roads and collector roads. Right. Some of the problems you run into that is collector roads have differing levels. So even in the core zone, you take something like 85th Street by Bonnie Dune Mall. It's a massive four lane roadway, huge, dead on either side. It's, it is arterial, but it's zoned residential collector. Also residential collector is 83rd Ave, the one lane, one way beside a bike lane road. Right. That's classified the same way so right wherever we had the option in core zone to solicit angry feedback and no this doesn't make sense we need to roll it back we took the more conservative approach uh better to push it further forward in the future than have to roll things back that makes sense so you came up with this plan you released it online what was the reaction like online it was good uh we we definitely had a very positive reaction more limited than we would have liked because there was a little bit of a it shall not be named uh, going on, uh, you know, with a certain... We can't talk about it anymore. Yes. Uh, there was a certain provincial happening going yes. on that we can't talk about. But that sort of dominated the news cycle. And journalists were straight up forthright with us. They're like, yeah, we'd like to write about this, but we can't because too much news. That did limit the uptake initially. But we had a lot of community leagues on board. We had a lot of private citizens writing in. And you had Bob Summers or Bob from Calgary, the famed New York Times comment section guy, he wrote a pretty supportive blog post outlining, yeah, this makes good sense. Right. I think the real pickup was today at council. I went in there. I'm, if I'm going to be honest, I've been losing on speed limits for three and a half years. I expected to lose again today. I'm a glutton for punishment. It was a success, a smashing success. And this was the first time you had brought it to council directly, right? Yeah, well, so about a year ago, when speed limits initially came up, Julie had proposed a similar idea of a core zone as an option. But at that point, I was still idealistic young Troy. And I said, oh, no, nah, we want 30 everywhere. You've become so wise, Troy. At one point in the council chambers, Don Iveson said to Julie, 
wow, if you can make Troy a pragmatist, is there anything you can't do? And fair point, Mr. Mayor. No doubt. At the end of it, uh, council was really supportive of this initiative. Um, essentially, what we're, we got is Mayor Iveson said next week he's going to make a motion to the effect of the core zone. Uh, might not be exactly it, but embodying the spirit of what we did. So the the report that administration brought, brought back on the two options on how to proceed with 40 kilometers, they basically said, we're not going to make a recommendation about that today. We're going to deal with this at council next week. And oh, by the way, probably we're going to ask you to not do that, but go and come up with this core zone proposal. Bring it back to us. Yeah. Um, and that's the essential gist of it. Council clearly heard there were 15 of us speaking. Not a single person spoke against speed reduction. Right. Everyone was mostly in favor of the core zone. A couple other speakers were there saying, you know, I want something slightly different, but I still want speed reduction in my neighborhoods. A couple people were from neighborhoods that are outside the core zone and said, I'd really like to be included in the core zone. And that was the other interesting thing. When I went in there, I said, look, we're flexible. We can reduce the size of the core zone. We can reduce the scope. And counselors were like, no, we want more communities in the core zone. Everyone really bought it. So the mayor you mentioned, obviously very supportive. What about the other councillors who were there? Anyone surprise you? The big surprise was Councillor Tim Cartmel. When we were doing our nose count before, we weren't counting on Cartmel's vote. Because, you know, Cartmel, he's an engineering guy. He likes expressways. Yeah. As much as we mock Cartmel for being a car center, it's the real rub with Cartmel is he's an engineer and he wants data, facts, and figures. Sure. And sometimes that can rub up against us when we're talking about value statements and the city we want to build. But today is like, no, you know, you guys keep saying that, you know, all these narrow streets exist in the core. I have some of that in my ward. I want that in my ward. And he was basically saying, yeah, pursue core zone. This is a great idea. And let's make it a success so that I can bring it to the far south areas of Ward 9. And that was an absolute shock to hmm. us. Um, that also means that I believe we have our nose count next week to pass this knock on knock on wood. wood yeah definitely well that's exciting so well in a way it's it's very exciting that a proposal from citizens that was brought forward to help move this forward was so positively received uh by council on the other hand it's perhaps disappointing that it took the three of you to make this happen yeah and it was a lot of work it wasn't just council that received this positively because typically when you have a bunch of citizens saying yeah we don't agree with administration's plan in front of you right admin will come up after the question of the panel and say no nah, no nah, here's why what we're saying is the best solution but administration was taking notes as we were presenting and they get went up after and they said you know the speakers brought up a lot of really good points and you know there's absolutely some learnings we can take and pursue this so administration even seemed on board with our plan which I don't know if it's like an early April Fool's joke. and stepped this is, into a parallel universe here or something. Yeah, we're going to make immediate progress forward and council and administration are on the same page about implementing real Vision Zero change. I, I don't know what's going on there. How this is going to look is next week, council is going to meet and they're going to have the full debate. Right. Not present today were the obvious no votes, Councillor Nickel and John D. Ward 3, friend of the podcast. They're going to raise some hell and vote no, um, but we never included them in the nose count anyway. Sure. But after council has the full debate, probably what happens is they say, okay, prepare us some bylaw amendments. Those will come back to committee in about a month. And then those will go to public hearing in about three months. Or potentially a budget estimate, right? So do, uh, does the core zone have a, a 
estimate on the sign changes that would be required? Because that seems like the bulk of the cost in what administration brought forward, right? On that, administration previously has had a very conservative reading of the Alberta Traffic Safety Act, and they seem to believe that you need to sign every corner when you change the speed limit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, today, administration was really forthwith, and they said, you know, if we just sign the entrances to neighborhoods and put some intermittent signs in between, that'll be enough to change the speed limit. So it sounds like we can have significantly reduced sign costs. Um, we said it's going to be $6 million citywide to do the thing. Core zone, even with their reduced thing, maybe it's $2 million, probably less. Right. But that's, that's not a huge ask yeah. in terms of. Uh, so, yeah, council will debate it. Uh, they might make a motion. It might come back. It might bounce and forth. But honestly, I can see this going to public hearing this year. We might have an enacted bylaw for residential speed reduction in a core zone this year. Imagine that for a Vision Zero City. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, so that's a thing that we will definitely keep an eye on because it is all consuming in my life. Uh, but all consuming in your life, you went to a place that I have no idea what was going on, but it looked like a rave in a power plant. Yeah, so last night I was at an event called SU After Dark, which is the uh, Singularity University after party. So the last two days, Tuesday and Wednesday here in Edmonton, we've hosted the Canada Summit for Singularity U, which is this organization of what they call themselves global innovators who want to create an abundant future by leveraging exponential tech. So there's presentations about building robots that are superhuman-like and solving the world's toilet problems and lots of really interesting uh, speakers and things. But they had this after party and it was hosted in the Rossdale Power Plant. So Epcor is one of the big sponsors of this event. They helped organize it to, to a large extent and they wanted to do something really interesting for the participants. And so it was the first time that the public was inside the Rossdale Power Plant in two decades, three decades, I can't remember, um, quite a long time. So we're going to put a pin in that for a second. Solving the world's toilet problems? Can we elaborate on that a little bit? One of the speakers talked about, uh, and I unfortunately did not see this presentation, but asking people at the conference today which one they remembered from yesterday, it was either the woman who wanted to build the most lifelike robot possible or the gentleman who basically took it upon himself to build a better toilet has funding from Bill Gates Foundation and has all the support from people all over the world and is really trying to, on his own, make this change happen. He was very inspiring, I understand. Okay, taking the pin out. So there's a rave in the power plant that's not been open for 30 years. Yeah, so they basically opened up half of the power plant. The other half was fenced off, but you could kind of look in and see that it was still, you know, looks like it had been abandoned a couple of decades ago. Um, but they had some stages set up and food stations and beer and they had neon lights that matched the Singularity U colors. And it was really cool to be inside this really historic building. Uh, they had lots of security and lots of fencing to make sure that we didn't go anywhere out of bounds. Um, but it was really neat to get to see such a historic part of Edmonton. And they, they sort of pitched it as, you know, revisit the past to help build the future uh, in the vein of, of what Singularity U is all about. Real corny, but we'll let it slide. Given that you were inside, I know one of the Edmonton Project proposals, not the gondola, the one that was less of a joke, was to have uh, like saunas or hot tubs in the Rossdale power plant as a sort of let's go there, let's exist in this cool historic thing, but right. do something modern and fun. 
is do you see this event as like a precursor to something like that as more of a willingness to open up Rossdale or is this just like a true one-off? Uh, this is very much a true one-off. I think the strings that Epcor had to pull and the sort of work that was involved in getting the fire department and everyone else's approval to be in there for that one night is not likely to happen again anytime soon. It was great, though, that people were able to take pictures, that many counselors, the mayor was there, they got to see people in the space. Um, and I was surprised, I mean, I have no idea what an old power plant would look like on the inside, but I was surprised at how uh, bare it is. Like, there's really good bones, obviously, and you could do a lot with that space. So I'm sure they're going to get inundated with requests now to be in there, and they're going to have to say no to all of those. Um, but hopefully it's you know, added further fuel to the fire behind the push to get something going for that location. So you mentioned the mayor was there. And I know you had mentioned that he had a lot of commentary that you found very interesting. Well, he was one of the speakers for the citizenship section of the event. And so he had two comments that I thought were quite interesting and relate to things that we've talked about before. So the first one was that he said, we don't have comfort with failure in our public institutions. He said, if our citizens tolerance for failure is none, you'll get no risk-taking to go along with that. So he was kind of feeding on the singularity U idea that you should have a growth mindset and you need to embrace failure. You know, Silicon Valley speak, you need to fail fast and move forward, break things. Um, and he was basically saying that uh, if you look at bridges in Edmonton, for instance, uh, there's no comfort with failure. And so we're not encouraged to take any risks. So I thought that was interesting that he brought that message to this group of people interested in innovation and the future, basically to say almost like, you know, give us some leeway to screw up on a signaling system or a bridge so that we can do better things in the future. That's an interesting take. I sort of feel personally attacked, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, that there's not much more to it than that. That was basically what he said. And, and I just thought that was interesting. He's not wrong, by the way. I think he's right that people like us give him a really hard time for the way they deal with these infrastructure projects. And we expect a high level of quality, but it's hard to, to make mistakes when that's the reaction that you see. The other comment he made that I thought was really interesting was in the, the sort of panel discussion part. And it was about governance and, and government. And you had a couple of the speakers who were very clearly already living in 2050 and, you know, would probably love anarchy and have no government at all. 2050 is <laughs> equivalent to anarchy and no government? You have to remember, Troy, I've been two days at Singularity U hearing all of these fanciful ideas and dystopian visions. It's not far-fetched. But basically, he was he was arguing for governance and that there is some need for regulation. Uh, he said government does do some good things. He pointed out the water that we drink. There's good regulations that make sure that it's safe for us to drink and priced via incline block there you go um the one thing he said that i thought was particularly interesting coming after the event that we shall not name from last week was that provinces are completely artificial constructs they're just lines on a map and he was basically making the case for you know as all of these technologies continue to develop and have a positive impact on our future it reinforces the importance of civic government and he talked about how calgary and edmonton need to be able to compete and differentiate themselves from each other and from other cities and a one-size-fits-all approach that a province imposes doesn't allow them to do that and he just kind of left that out there we're talking edmonton independence uh, are we gonna see Iveson running the next provincial election on the Edmonton separatist party is is that what he's laying down right now I don't think I read it that way I think I read it as uh, posturing for uh, the the new provincial government and uh, continuing the strengthening position of cities with the city charter and, and documents such as that 
I'm going to change gears to one more strengthened position, which was the cities on the Mayfair lease. Uh, you'll recall that the Mayfair, the golf course right by Horlack Park, and their lease was up for debate in a while uh, for some reason. Um, but the Mayfair wanted an 18-year extension to their lease to go to 2069. Um, so that's a long time in the future. Speaking of the future. We had Michael Jans on the podcast to talk about his initiative that he's a part of to you know, open up the Mayfair lease and let's talk about it and have a fulsome public discussion about the Mayfair. Administration this week opted to say, nah. And there's a motion in front of committee tomorrow to just approve the 18 years on the lease. Right. So council basically the last time asked for administration to come back after reviewing other golf courses in the River Valley to see what they've done to come up with a amended lease agreement that would somehow reflect that or some sort of recommendation to do something that improves the public return on those organizations. And as you say, they didn't really do that. No. Uh, so one of the specific things that council brought up is, you know, public washroom access. Right. Because right now you can go and do some cross-country skiing at the Mayfair in the winter, but you are absolutely in no way permitted to use their bathrooms. So council asked, hey, can we use their bathrooms? Administration answer is no. You may not. The Mayfair is going to pay $870,000 up front and get an 18-year lease. It's not going to go to council. It's not going to go for a full debate. Committee... Unless committee decides to kick it down the sure. road. Sure. Yeah. But committee is fully authorized to, with just a subset of council, approve another 18 years of our public park being leased away. The only other additional public use requirements that they've added into this lease are seasonal public use and access for non-members to golf and cross-country skiing for a certain period of time throughout yeah. the year. The non-members can golf only for a certain small percentage of time, and they still have to pay for that privilege. It just can't be, you know, above market costs. I love the calculation, actually. It's like no less than 7.5% of the total number of rounds of golf played. That's coming up next week, or that's coming up this week. It's happening tomorrow, Thursday. We're recording on Wednesday, so by the time this is released, we may already have another 18-year lease. And I honestly don't predict anything else. I think committee is just going to approve it and eat the politics of it. <sighs> Mac nods. Uh, there's nothing really else to say there. I mean, I hope you're wrong. He wasn't. I think that this is worth looking at uh, in a bigger fashion. They didn't. The Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, is proud to be partnering with Northwest Fest, Edmonton's international documentary festival, which runs May 2nd to 12th at Metro Cinema. It features dozens of short and feature-length non-fiction films. And one of the films showing is The Trouble with Wolves on May the 4th. Be with you. And if you go, you'll also have the chance to meet Chris Chang-Yen Phillips of Let's Find Out, a fellow member of the network. The current season of Let's Find Out focuses on how nature and humans shape each other, so this show's a great fit for that film. Uh, tickets and passes are available at northwestfest.ca, and you can use the discount code APN 2019, that's APN, the numbers, 2019, to get 10% off any general admission ticket except for opening night. You know, it's opening night. What, what are you going to do? You're not going to get it. Just go on opening night. Enjoy it. Have a good time. That's all for this week. Um, I'm still... Jubilant? Most, mostly jubilant. Uh, Mayfair brought the jubilations down a little bit, but, you know, I got home. I pet my cat. I'm. We're still going to have a success next week. Troy, Troy's going to end this week happy and next week will be another good week oh uh, well one can only hope until that week i'm troy i'm mac and we're speaking, speaking municipally, municipally.